The following is a President's Chapel given by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey. For more information about this lecture or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. wscal.edu, 888-480-8474. When I chose that psalm, I was not particularly thinking that this was uh, the day of the New Hampshire primary. But it is good to sing, put no confidence in princes, uh, um, but rather on the Lord God. Please turn with me in Mark's Gospel to chapter 8. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. We'll begin our reading at verse 21. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, taking up the reading at verse 21. And he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethesda, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? So far, the reading of God's word. We begin a new semester of study today, uh, and I hope you are filled uh, not yet with fatigue, but with uh, joy and with a sense of the privilege that is ours to be able to study the Word of God. And yet, studying the Word of God is also constantly a challenge, a challenge well encapsulated for us in this question that Jesus posed to his disciples, and a question it seems still appropriate for us today, do you not yet understand? Some of you may get that question from your teachers in some of your classes in this semester. Don't you understand yet? Uh, But Jesus doesn't mean that by that. He means it in a most basic kind of way, challenging us. Do we really understand the ways of God, the purposes of God? person and work of Jesus Christ. And uh, I think that question is a crucial context to this very interesting story. At first glance, it's a very simple story, isn't it? Jesus heals a blind man. Uh, We're so used to Jesus doing wonderful things that the wonder of it often rather escapes us. Well, yeah, 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 Jesus, after all, is God come in the flesh, healing a blind man, no big deal there. But of course, it was a big deal, wasn't it? It was a huge surprise to those who were with him. Um, In the whole Old Testament, no blind person had ever been healed. And the promise in the Old Testament was that a day was coming when God would do such wonderful things among his people that even the blind would see. And so healing the blind was not only a surprise, but, but clearly 
a sign of Messiah coming. And this is the first time in Mark's gospel that a blind man is healed, and it's huge, as some politician might say. Huge. Um, it's a big deal. And, uh, but it's a surprise not only because it's such a powerful sign that Messiah is present with his people, but it's a surprise to most commentators ever since because this is the only sort of two-stage miracle that Jesus does in the Gospels. And it has uh, led to many questions. Why does he heal in two stages, especially when this is not something he does elsewhere? What is, what is the point of this? What is the message of this? And um, it's good that we should pause for a minute over that. Um, do you not yet understand? Well, I think many uh, in the history of interpretation haven't understood, and I think I do, but of course the chances are relatively good that I'm wrong. But you know, it's fascinating when you go back and look at the broader context of Mark's gospel, and one of the things we do need to learn about reading the scriptures is that we never can understand a local text without understanding its broader context as well as its setting within the whole revelation of God. What we see in Mark's gospel is that the question, do you understand, recurs over and over again in Mark's gospel addressed to his disciples. They're not quick. That should encourage us. They're slow to understand. And over again, again and again, he has to address them and press them to understand. Uh, he'll feed 4,000, and then he'll ask them, do you have any bread? And they get all worried that they don't have any bread. You'd think after seeing 5,000 fed and then seeing 4,000 fed, they'd have figured out they don't need to worry about bread. But they haven't figured that out. They haven't understood. And then just after this episode, we'll see Jesus asking the question, so who do men say that I am? And they'll report to him what they've heard. And then Jesus will ask them, and who do you say that I am? And we know what Peter says, don't we? We're familiar with that. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then what happens? Jesus tells them plainly that he's going to die and then be raised from the dead. And Peter does what? He rebukes Jesus. He says to Jesus, don't you understand yet? That's not what messiahs do. They don't die. They go to Jerusalem in glory and power and reign. And then Jesus has to rebuke Peter. Do you see a pattern here? Seems to me it's an important pattern for us to see. It's a pattern of disciples following Jesus, being attached to Jesus, understanding something of Jesus, he's the Christ, the son of the living God, 
and yet not really seeing clearly. I think that's what's going on. This healing of the blind man is a real healing of a real blind man, but it's also an object lesson to us. Interestingly, Jesus takes the blind man out of the village, apparently away from the crowd, apparently just with his disciples. And this is an object lesson for the disciples in particular. And he touches the blind man. And the blind man sees, but not clearly. And I think Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is you. This is you. You see enough to say that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, but you don't see enough to take up your cross and follow me. You don't see enough to know that I've come to die, that you might live. You don't see enough to understand the purpose of God in bringing me into the world to pay for the sins of my people on the cross. You see, but you don't see. And as I've thought about this as a church historian, with a full recognition of my limits as an exegete, uh, that this is a remarkable insight into what's happened in the whole history of the church. Over and over again in the history of the church, the disciples of Jesus have confessed him and then refused to follow him in the way of the cross. What does the history of the church tell us about the wisdom of the church over and over again? It's that the wisdom of the church is this, we will succeed when we get bigger buildings. We will succeed when we have finer artwork. We'll succeed when we have better music. We'll succeed when we have better programs. We'll succeed when we have more government influence. We'll succeed when we have more power. We'll succeed when we go to Jerusalem in glory. And the church has been unwilling over and over and over again in almost every century to take up the cross and follow Jesus. And I think this is important for us to meditate on, to reflect on. To confess Jesus and to not take up the cross is to look around the world and see people as trees walking. It's not to see the reality. It's not to see what is actually happening. It's not to understand what is really going on. Now, you could say, well, now you're leaving out part of church history because some people understood about taking up the cross. They so understood the call to be otherworldly that they joined monasteries. Or they withdrew from the world into Anabaptist communities. And I think what Jesus would say about that is that this is just another form of self-indulgence. Jesus didn't call his people to withdraw from the world. 
Taking up the cross didn't mean avoiding the world. Taking up the cross meant living in the world. And so this, this call of Jesus to his disciples is a challenging call and a difficult call. And a call that ought to lead us, it seems to me, into this new semester with a heightened sense of humility. Uh, that is a difficult virtue to cultivate sometimes among the reformed. Because we are smarter and wiser and better educated and better looking. Well, maybe not that. Than the world around us. And of all people, surely we see the most clearly. I hope that's true. But the danger is that we, like many, many others, spend a good bit of our life confessing Christ, but not taking up our cross and following him. And so as we begin a new semester, that is the call that Jesus lays on our lives. Uh, that we would spend our time and our energy in this semester looking into the word of God so that we'll really understand the purpose of God and the way of God and the call of God. That we'll really understand the scriptures and that those scriptures will make us different people. I've been working on a little project that could only possibly be of interest to about 10 historians in the world. Uh, on an exchange between Desiderius Erasmus and Martin Bootser. Now, I know it will fascinate all of you. But in 1527, Erasmus wrote a letter to Martin Bootser, the reformer of Strasbourg, um, in which he was answering Bootser's question, why haven't you joined the Protestant cause? You've been concerned about the church. You've been concerned about the corruptions of the church. Why haven't you joined the Protestant cause? And Erasmus wrote back to Bootser, part of the reason I have not joined your cause is that as I look about at the fruit of your teaching, I see that those who have identified with your cause, among those who have identified with your cause, I see none better and many worse for having become Protestants. Now, I don't think Erasmus was right about that. I don't think Erasmus was fair in saying that. Nevertheless, it's a charge that should give us pause, shouldn't it? It's a charge that should make us ask, is there any truth in that? Are we better? by the grace of God, for knowing the truth? Because if we're not, then we don't know the truth. And Jesus, I think, is challenging us to see clearly who he is and what he's doing so that we'll follow him, follow him with understanding, but follow him with humility as we take up our cross and follow him. May God grant us that grace in this semester. Let's pray together.
O Lord our God, we confess before you that we often have not seen as clearly as we think we do, and surely not as clearly as you call us to see. And especially, O Lord, we confess that we are so much more inclined to want power and success than we are to want the way of the cross. And so, O Lord, we pray that you will help us, help us to see more clearly, help us to understand your work more fully, and help us to follow more faithfully that you might be glorified in us and through us and that your truth might be carried uh, out into this world as we truly are lights in this world. Hear us, bless us, and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.